This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 121. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Well, hello, hello. It has been quite a while, and although the topic today is not particularly happy, my heart is very full. I didn't probably realize how much I missed this until I just heard the theme song and my heart just swelled in my chest. Um, if you hang on to the to the end, I'll tell you what's been going on. Um, I do have a major life update um, if you care to know about that. Um, but before we get there, we shall talk about body image and um, what comes with all of that. So I recently chatted with a friend whose teenage daughter is going through some body image issues. And I don't know her daughter very well, but it broke my heart a little because I feel we put our kids and teenagers and also ourselves through so much pain for really shitty and unnecessary reasons. And one of the reasons this podcast exists is to minimize pain that is not really necessary. And what I mean by that is we can't really do anything about the fact that, you know, um, there's a disease outbreak. We can, we can decide how we manage that, and that will, that will do a lot regarding the suffering. But we can't really um, help the fact that if you are a living being, being on the planet, there's going to be illness, there's going to be diseases, there's going to be death, um, there's going to be heartbreak. And all of those things are inevitable. And when it comes to those things, I hope to give you some instruments to accept them better. But we can't really do that much to avoid them. But then there's all this unnecessary pain that comes from subscribing to worldviews which are fake and false, and or just using those ideas, using ideas, um, weaponizing ideas, to make money out of other people's pain. And I think a lot of a lot of what body image issues are about is exactly about that. So in the days since that conversation, I found myself addressing that girl in my head. So I figured I might as well do an episode about it and hope that it helps the parents and teachers and other folks who interact with teenagers um, so that you can offer them something productive and helpful. Why body image matters. Um, the messages we get from society regarding our bodies are really confusing. On the one hand, we are told that character matters. Uh, we're told things such as don't judge a book by its cover or you are beautiful no matter what. And on the other hand, we know exactly that pretty and sexy people get perks that the rest of us don't get. So even if you don't quite understand why body image matters so much, it bundles a huge amount of global attention. We'll have to figure out how we and our body navigate this world. And that is true whether you want to admit that or not. Even if you choose to never think about it, that is a decision that comes with cons consequences. So 
In this episode, I want to address three main ideas. Number one, moving from a one-size-fits-it-all to a world of multiple perspectives. Figuring out your defense mechanisms, but also your offense mechanisms. Um, To those of you who uh, know a little bit about me and have been following along for quite a while, I'm a passionate soccer fan, and I do believe that um, the way you need a defense and an offense to to really uh, be a successful team in soccer, I think that's also true in life. We all need defense mechanisms to to block and minimize and reduce uh, things we don't want in life, but we also need to go and get more of and amplify the things that are good. So let's talk about this idea, um, the one path versus multiple perspectives. Um, The default path is the path that people take if they uh, don't really question how body image is uh, perceived and constructed in society. So that means that if you never choose to think about it, um, the default path, the one path that is open to you is some sort of self-hate. It's harmful thought patterns that include things such as you're not worthy or you're only worthy if you have a certain body shape or fitness. Uh, Whatever you do is not enough or good enough. You have to constantly compare yourself. You can't really have one moment of feeling good. You just have to compare yourself and validation comes from outside. Um, And that's the path to happiness. The path to happiness is through other people's admiration. And more often than not, it is kind of portrayed that way that if you buy a certain product or you buy into a certain ideology, um, then you will be happy. Sadly, this is, as I have said, the default. So if we don't take charge of the narrative, we are pushed towards a path of self-hate that is filled with fake promises. It's not your fault that you have these thoughts. These mechanisms were in place before you were even born. And Right now, they're more ubiquitous than ever because at least in the old days, you can kind of turn off the TV, you can, um, you can, you know, not look at the newspaper or whatever. But right now, it's it's pretty hard <laughs> to to keep away from things, media, social media, entertainment, but also everyday speech. What what the people around us tell us or don't tell us, what is not said, um, the role models we have, all of these things are relevant for body image. Instead of accepting and following this one very harmful path, we can decide to explore alternatives. One alternative is the idea of body neutrality. So for people who have a difficult relationship with their body, it's not necessarily feasible to shoot for body positivity. Um, Also, body positivity is a very confusing term. Because it started out, um, as far as I'm aware, it started out um, as a movement for women, probably black women who were overweight, who wanted to feel good about themselves. And then Instagram fitness models just started taking over that hashtag and saying like, oh, look, I'm posing a real life image of myself and I'm feeling good. I'm feeling body positive and I love my body. And 
so so I'm not sure that that term is you know really as clear and as innocent as we think it is but if it helps you by all means um, use it but body neutrality is this idea that we don't have to love our body or think it's incredible it's incredibly beautiful to find peace you can you can respect your body you can be grateful to your body for all that it does for you you can be grateful that it's your physical home basically in in many ways um but at the same time you don't have to tie all those feelings to the condition that you think your body is beautiful we can instead strive for this idea that our body is wondrous in terms of biology um but it doesn't have to take up so much focus, space, or and worry in our lives, right? We don't have to be obsessed with our bodies. They're pretty, there are lots of other things to be obsessed about. We can strive for different experiences within our body, but without really expecting to feel beautiful. And if this sounds depressing to you, I don't mean it that way. The idea here is that if you're in a place where you hate your body, stepping straight into loving your body is just not a realistic thing. So a more realistic goal, if you hate your body or you think you've got an ugly body, is to be like, hey, let's work on a truce. Let's work on how to discover how I can respect my body and admire my body in new ways. But they don't have to include that they th that I think this body is as beautiful as, you know, some of the bodies that are considered traditionally beautiful. Self-kindness is an alternative way. So instead of aspiring to feel great about your body, you can aspire to be kind towards your body. And what's nice about that is we have a little bit more control over how we act than how we feel. Um, our feelings are usually some complicated outcome out of outside influences and our own actions. Self-kindness is 100% on you. You can decide right now that you choose to discover the multiple ways in which your body is amazing and deserves kindness. And that's something you can decide to do right now. You can shoot for curiosity. Um, after all, discovering our bodies, it is a wonderful pathway. Um, and we will discuss this explorative approach to understanding and experiencing our body a little bit later, so I won't get into it now. And then there's pleasure. Um, our bodies are capable of experiencing pleasure such as music and movement and human interactions. And here I have to talk about briefly that it helps if those things are constructive pleasures, um, which means that those are pleasures which don't weaken us in the long term. If you love music and you just dance away or you love music and you just thoroughly enjoy um, the sound experience, that is not bad for you. Obviously, we know about the things that can make you feel addicted that are bad for you, even if they give you a short, uh, a short 
hit of pleasure, so to speak. Now, before we get into how we can construct a more helpful body image, let's talk about briefly what doesn't help. Uh, Many of us reflexively argue um, with people, but also with ourselves in ways that don't help. Um, We just contradict. So, for example, somebody would say, I'm ugly. And then we just say, no, you're not ugly. You're beautiful. And the reason this doesn't help is that people see how the world interacts with people who are deemed to be beautiful by society. So if the world does not interact with you the way they enter or with the person concerned, the same way they interact with, you know, um, quote unquote, beautiful people, that tells us that we are not beautiful or that that person is not beautiful. And just arguing the opposite is not going to do anything. Um, We also offer up incomplete truths or partial lies, right? And we give each other one-size-fits-it-all advice. So, such as, you have to strive for body positivity. As I said before, this is not possible for anybody. And it might be expecting too much in the short term. So, these are just things that don't help. I'm sure you can come up with other things that don't help. Um, Don't feel bad if you've had to, if you've said these things in the past. It probably came from a kind place. You probably wanted to make that other person or yourself feel good. But I just thought I'd explain to you really briefly why it doesn't work. So let's look at things which have the potential to actually work. And I would like to start with the defense. So as I said before, we need to find ways to shield ourselves from harm and to aim for what's good, right? So to shield ourselves from harm, we go for the defense. The first thing to do is to identify harmful thought patterns. Classic ones include things such as eating is a sin, or this chocolate cake is a sin, or ew, look how fat I am. And the question here is what makes you feel unworthy? Who are the people in your life that make you feel bad about yourself? This is a complicated one, by the way, because what do we do if it's not just a random acquaintance that we can easily just kind of, you know, reduce the time we spend with them or not see them at all at no almost no cost cost to us, right? More often than not, a lot of people who shape these ideas in our heads are people we love, our parents, our siblings, uh, our partners, and there we can't just excuse ourselves out of the relationship. Um, So this is not necessarily an easy thing, but we can still be honest, at least with with ourselves, within ourselves, about who the people are in our life who make us feel bad about our bodies. Um, Which sources of information expose you to this kind of negativity? Um, Social media is an easy one. But it's not necessarily as straightforward as that, because you could use Instagram to follow, for example, people who are, you know, a, a bit more, who are on the, on the same side as, as we are, or we are trying to get, right? We'll get to the positives later. But don't just be, don't just generalize, don't just say, oh, the media, or oh, social media, but actually look at, you know, go and look at your social media feed. 
it's probably not all of them. You probably have a couple of like cute animals, which don't make you feel bad about yourself. And you probably have some supportive friends. So really be honest about where the harmful messaging is coming from. Um, that's the next step, identifying harmful messaging. So before it was identifying harmful thought patterns, uh, which specific social media accounts make you feel bad about yourself? Which celebrities sell products based on your insecurities? Now, I'm obviously talking to you, but I could also be meaning your teenager or your eight-year-old child, whoever. Um, this stuff starts early, actually. Which TV shows and movies focus mostly on beauty and hotness? Um, I'm, by the way, not implying that you have to cut all of that out of your life. Um, that decision is obviously completely up to you. There are some things which, which I like to watch, and I know there are some aspects of it which are not great. Um, as long as we're conscious of what we're getting, that is the important part. Um, which people who have authority in your life spread harmful messages? Because we do react differently to people who have authority than people who don't. Now, in terms of defense mechanisms, what could we do? Well, the simplest thing is to remove yourself. So some things are so harmful that it might make sense to remove yourself completely. Unfollow that person. Stop being friends or in a relationship where people cons consistently put you down. Walk away. Then sometimes we just have to partially remove, remove ourselves. So Sometimes people we love do or say harmful things, and some programs have questionable elements but have benefits as well. So just walking away completely is not the correct answer for every situation. And here we can also decide to, for example, not read certain posts. Um, we can remove ourselves from particular topics of conversation by going to the bathroom, excusing yourself for the moment. And sometimes we can also be direct. Um, there was a time a couple of years ago when I had lost a little bit of weight and people started noticing. And, you know, I, I realized that for some people that is a moment of glory. You know, they, they, can't, they can't wait to tell everybody how they lost their weight. But to me, it was just really boring because instead of talking to me about funny things or interesting things, suddenly a lot of people wanted to talk to me about this shit. And, and I, frankly, to me, it was just so boring. So almost any topic in the world to me is more interesting than, than that I had, you know, chicken with my salad last night. I mean, who cares? So sometimes I just walked away. You know, if there are bigger groups, you can't do that. Um, other times I said to people, look, I don't feel like this is particularly interesting or enjoyable to discuss. If you, if you want to lose weight, like just, you know, figure it out with somebody who cares to figure it out. That person is not me. Be conscious of what is happening. As I said before, sometimes we, we do want to watch, you know, some kind of program if we know, even if we know that, that, you know, maybe the lead is too beautiful to be true or whatever. And here, I think it's important that you understand that something like, I don't know, I mean, I don't watch it myself, but for example, American, America's Next Top Model is very, very popular, um, also with young people. And that doesn't mean we have to turn it off and remove them from this. It can also mean that that can be a 
a kind of a springboard to have a little bit more deeper conversations, right? So one thing is important that the way that these models look is the exception and not the rule. As long as you or your teenager doesn't really use what they're picking up in some kind of program against themselves or you use it against you or other people, it's probably okay to watch it as long as you keep an eye out for those messages. Another thing to do is explore your boundaries. What are things you don't want to expose yourself to anymore? What are things that you can only tolerate in moderation? Uh, when are times when you need added protection for your mental health? We are in month, what, 14, 15 of a global pandemic. Some of us are a bit more afraid right now. Um, and maybe that means that we also have to build bigger defenses than we need at other times. Um, as I'm sure you've guessed, this is a bit of a journey to figure all of this out. But what is taboo for me might be a major source of enjoyment for you or vice versa. And that's what makes this hard. You know, I can't just sit here and tell you in detail all the rules that I apply to whether I watch something or not or whether I engage with something or not. Because what I find interesting and funny and rewarding but also harmful is not the same. You know, for example, I don't watch stuff which has a lot of violence in it for no good reason. I don't understand how somebody can love horror movies, right? But you might, and that's cool. You have to figure these things out. Another thing is healthy escapes. Now, sometimes we don't have yet the right tools to deal with something. In that case, we might have to escape and distract ourselves with something else. And distractions sometimes get a bad reputation um, because people think like, oh, you just distract yourself and you don't deal with the problem. It just becomes bigger and bigger. And that is true in the long term. But we have to distinguish what is going on. So is it a healthy distraction or is it something that will damage us in the long term? Do we always escape? Or do we escape while building our resources or waiting to get enough energy to tackle an issue, right? So if you don't deal with something because you don't have the tools yet, but you're working on building those tools, it's fine. That doesn't matter, right? Also, there are different ways of escaping. You can escape into creativity by playing music, drawing, writing, composing music. And those things tend to be incredibly rewarding Almost no matter what else is going on in your life, it's usually a good, a good way to spend some time doing some of those things. You can escape into reading literature, right? Um, Harry Potter books or whatever it is that are a great way to escape from stressful situations. And added benefit, literature sometimes teaches us something about how other humans have gone through difficult situations. You can escape into sports. Um, sports can be a wonderful escape, but obviously we have to make sure that we don't walk straight into the fire. If, for example, you end up um, at a weightlifting place that might exacerbate your body image issues. Um, games are probably a little bit easier because when you play a game, 
you're not necessarily thinking about how you look. You're just chasing a ball or something. But that doesn't mean you can't go lifting weights. Um, I've noticed that gyms differ very much. Um, sometimes, especially the the you know pretty people gyms that once I worked um, close to one of those and I was like, well, this is easier to go here than to go somewhere else. And I ended up learning that a lot of them are incredibly sociable because they spend so much time at the gym and they didn't have the judgments about me that I had about them. You know, like I, I remember back then, this is like 11 years ago, I thought, well, these are all just, you know, strong, very strong meatheads. And they would just like come and talk to me. And I was like, huh, interesting. I did not see that coming. I thought you wouldn't talk to a person who looks like me. So... That's what I mean with sometimes it's a bit of a journey <laughs> to figure all of these out. It's all a bit of moving parts, but what I can promise you is that if you figure out good defense mechanisms for yourself or your teenager, um, it just saves you a world of pain, like literally the rest of your life. Um, it would just minimize the pain and suffering that you would otherwise be experiencing or your kid would be experiencing. So yeah. Now I've talked a lot about things that we can do to limit the exposure to um, harmful body image messaging. Now let's switch to the cool things, the identifying relevant thought patterns. Um, now you, if you paid attention, uh, you noticed that we, that we talked about that already in the defense um, section of this podcast just a couple of minutes ago. But now we're going to identify, for example, neutral thought patterns, right? So what helps me take pressure off myself? What helps me protect myself? What is both realistic but also not harmful? We can identify positive thought patterns. What makes you feel strong? What makes you feel relaxed? What makes you feel awe and curiosity to explore alternative paths? That is a big one. I will offer you some questions so that you can get started on exploring alternative paths in your body image journey. Um, it's important to understand that the answers to these questions are highly subjective, although there are, of course, some things which are bad for most people. So here are a few questions that I feel would help you. Um, where do healthy feelings of worthiness come from? Um, for some people, it's sadly quite seldom to feel that they're worthy. But if that happens, when is that? Where is that? With whom is that? Um, here are some answers I found for myself. So one is arriving at the belief that a human is worthy no matter what. Um... Living in line with my values is another thing that makes me feel worthy. So the more I actually do what I say I believe I do, the more I feel, the better I feel. Um, sometimes I, I felt worthy by experiencing things that my body can do. But I think this is a bit of a mixed bag because if, if we're too much focused on what our body can do, we can slide into what is called ableism, where we, where we basically discount um, 
people or ourselves um, who are disabled or partially disabled, right? So yeah, that's that. And kind self-talk, that has also helped me feel worthy. When are we good enough? What comparisons, if any, are actually constructive? What kind of validation can I cultivate instead of inside of myself? How do I want my body image issues to affect what I buy? Now, in case you're confused about that, basically, a lot of products are sold because people are unhappy with how they look. They're like all these creams, for example, whitening creams and stuff like that. Like that's that's a particularly troubling one. That as a result of white supremacy worldwide uh, in countries such as India, but also I think in the U.S. in the black community, a lot of people buy creams in the hope to somehow become whiter. And I, I don't blame them. I mean, if you hear that that people who look like you are worthless and you experience it all the time, of course you do that. But also I think a lot of these really harmful beliefs are being perpetuated because somebody makes money out of it. Um, the beauty industry is a, is a, I don't know how many billion dollar industry, but it's definitely a billion dollar industry. And I think they took a bit of a hit during the pandemic because a lot of people, for example, stopped wearing makeup. Um, I, I can only hope that, that it made people think and question some things. Uh, I've heard of people who used to believe that, you know, they, they, they bought the newest um, clothes and accessories and stuff like that because they genuinely thought they were interested in fashion. And now they discovered, no, the moment the pressure is gone to present myself in front of my uh, fellow human beings, I don't give a shit. I'm happy to walk around in sweats. So yeah, maybe that's one of the very few good things coming out of the pandemic. I don't know. Um, what are neutral ways to talk and think about our bodies? What are constructive ways to talk and think about our bodies? What kind of hygiene routines make me feel good. Um, what example that came up during quarantine that some people showered less. And some folks found that deeply liberating. Um, personally, I would just be trapped in a world of itching and discomfort if I did that. But I mean, that's why it's so important to figure these things out for yourself. We, sometimes we can't answer. Sometimes, sometimes we can just try out what somebody else did. Sometimes it's just not the right thing to do. What makes my body feel dignified and respected? And I'm going to repeat that one because I think maybe we don't think about that often enough. What makes my body feel dignified and respected? What routines make you feel generally good about yourself? Now, these are just a couple of ways how you can use curiosity to explore alternative stories and pathways and beliefs about body image. Another way to do it, and a very effective way, I might add, um, I think the thought pattern thing, 
can be a bit of more of a long-term project to start to figure out how we experience things. And um, sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it's just one little change that can make a big difference. Other times, not so much. But what is definitely fast and also has a lot of impact is if we experience our body in multiple ways. So one thing you can do is that you implement activities in your weekly routines which make you feel strong. So, for example, I feel strong when I do a little bit of weightlifting. Um, I even got myself um, like a kettlebell and some dumbbells um, last year during quarantine. And, you know, I don't use them all the time. It's not something that I'm, I'm not can't even say like, oh, I, I train, you know, continuously and stuff. But I've noticed that if I don't touch those things for a couple of weeks, I feel crumbled up. I feel I get certain aches and pains that I usually don't have. And I feel kind of like crouching in on myself. So just doing that routine that I have, which by the way, only takes about, you know, 12 to 15 minutes because I just, I just do things with as much weight as I can possibly lift. Um, makes a difference to how I feel. For you, it might be something completely different. You know, for you, it might be Batman. I don't know what makes you feel strong. Figure it out. Um, What makes you feel good? I feel usually good, sometimes also very sleepy after a run. Uh, Again, I don't have to go running all the time, but that's something that I know reliably makes me feel good. I have never returned from a run and not felt better than when I started. And also what makes you feel relaxed. Um, Things to think about are maybe exposure to water. So either being near water, but also being in water can, can be positive for us. We can be exposed to nature, forests, that kind of thing, beaches. Um, Meditation, I won't say too much about that. If you're interested, check out one of the other episodes. Um, Massage might be something that is also highly effective to make you feel good about your body and to experience your body. The experience is the important thing here. Another way that we can seek to improve our body image is through the interaction with role models. And interaction doesn't necessarily mean that you have to talk to them directly. It can also mean that you consume somebody's content who is good for you. Um, It can be in real life. So who are the people who seem happy with themselves? Who are the people who have healthy routines, but without maybe taking it too seriously? Who is confident, although traditional beauty standards dictate that they shouldn't feel good about themselves? You know, who are the people where you're like, huh, you actually look happier or are more confident than I would expect you to feel or to look? And obviously, it would be a super rude thing to go and say that directly to people, so I don't advise that. Role models can also be famous people. So, um... Are there any famous people who you think they're open and candid about both their mental and their physical health? Um, That's something worth looking into. 
Um, who expands your mind about what can be achieved? Uh, for example, Jasmine Stanley, who I interviewed for episode 97, blew my mind with her yoga poses. And, you know, yoga, I've given it a couple of tries. It's not really my thing, although I feel actually good every time that I do it. But I don't know, I still have a lot of internal hang-ups about it. But that doesn't change the fact that she absolutely blew my mind and also kind of exploded all my stupid excuses. You know, at least now I'm more honest to myself about the fact that, you know, there's something about yoga that I don't dig and I don't figure, I don't know what it is, but I don't have to pretend it's because as as an overweight person, I can't do any of the poses, for example, because, you know, go and Google her. She's amazing. And she can do all kinds of things that lots of skinny people can. So, yeah, that's that. Now, to conclude all of this, I think what we have to say is that three things matter the most. Explore alternative ideas and pathways about body image. Think about things that can protect you or the person in your life who is most affected by all of this. And think about ways to implement joy, self-respect, and a feeling of competence. Um, Because that means that something can start out of the desire um, to change our body image, but it might actually lead you down a much deeper path, a path of personal growth that is beyond what you thought maybe is possible by just, you know, fixing your body image. All right, so we get to the section where I promised I would tell you a little bit about what's going on. I mentioned this in the other podcast, I have Positive Psychology on the go, but I haven't, I don't think I mentioned it here, that I have quit the bank. After 21 years in the Swiss banking world, I decided that was enough. And for a long time, I thought what I had wanted to do with my life would be to, you know, become a location-independent entrepreneur who travels the world and teaches people about positive psychology. And I did some of those projects. You know, um, I worked 60% for a couple of years, so I had quite a bit of time on my hands to explore positive psychology in different ways. I gave courses. I, I uh, helped a little bit with Happyfy and other things. But what I came to realize, especially when I was giving the courses, was that most people on this planet need more exposure and, and actual role models to implement these ideas. Now, if you listen to this podcast, chances are that you're one of the people of the, you know, the kinds of people who can actually take ideas and think about them and implement them stuff in their lives. And I used to think, you know, a long time ago that all people were like that, but that's not true. Um, Some of us are just a bit nerdier than others. We like to learn and we like to try out things, but that's not necessarily true for the overwhelming majority of humans. So what occurred to me 
um, where I can actually use positive psychology every day and not in an only theoretical way by teaching it, but by being a role model, living it, uh, working through conflicts, diffusing tensions, that kind of thing, was that if I became a school teacher. Now, if you're in the U.S., I feel I have to say to you that I am very lucky to live in a country that values teachers and pays them very fairly. Um, I don't really talk about my salary much, but what I can say is that my starting salary is going to be pretty much exactly the same as it was in the job that I left for the bank, maybe even a little bit more. And as opposed to working in the bank, we actually get, you know, pay raises every couple of years as teachers. Now, if you know me, you know that that didn't really factor into my decision that much. Um, I didn't take the job because, you know, we earn a decent living. Uh, although decent is something that I want, I have to admit I, I would have struggled with the decision if it meant that I would earn, you know, a teacher's salary in some states uh, comparable to the U.S., whereas just like I, I, I'm not sure I'm cut out to have like three jobs to do what I love. But here I don't have to. And what I did was I quit the bank in, uh, back in, at the end of August 2020. And September 1st, I started a combined um, bachelor's, master's uh, program for people who already have work experience um, with the goal to become a secondary school teacher. So I'm going to have the kids um, who are aged, you know, they, they come to me age 12 or 13. And then they leave when they're 15, 16. In Switzerland, that's year 7 to 9. Um, but I realize that in some other countries, this might be slightly different. And this program has been incredibly rewarding. It's amazing that, you know, I found that a lot of things, um, I mean, obviously, all the stuff that I learned from positive psychology is so incredibly useful. Um, and can be directly applied to teaching. Um, but also a lot of things, you know, when I, I have mentioned in previous episodes sometimes that I had a really hard time when I was young at school. Um, and I was mad a lot because I just felt like the way they teach, the way things are done in school, they're just, they're just wrong. They're just shit. They don't really help anybody. And you know, sometimes when you're a grown-up, you see things differently. But I have to say, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, you know, nine-year-old Kristen and 14-year-old Kristen, who was like, what is this? Because I'm happy to report that in the last 20 years, at least in my country, schools have changed a lot. Um, the way things are done are so much kinder. They are so much more in line with trying to get people where they're at instead of where they should be at. Um, we ask students today so much more what they're interested in and try to pick books that they like and that kind of thing. Uh, 
than in the past. Now, I'm not saying in the past this doesn't happen, but at least in the past, it was more of an individual thing. So basically, if you had a teacher who was like that, at least where I grew up, you were lucky. Because where I, where I went to school, nobody, nobody cared what kind of books I liked. I don't think I was asked once what I want to read until I was about 19 for my final exam, um, where we had to pick five books, um, five literary books. I think that was the first time anybody asked, hey, Kristen, here, here's a choice. Select what you want. Before it was just, you just read what I tell you, and you can't even tell me that this is garbage. Um, so yeah, I, I get to be around teenagers. And frankly, the reason that I chose this job was that I thought about, well, what has brought me the most joy um, when I was working in those 21 years in banking? And the answer was um, that the most joy came from teaching my apprentices, interacting with my apprentices. And I was like, well, what if you could just do that, but instead of having one of them, have 20 at once? And yeah, so the cool thing about the program that I'm doing right now is that it's not just theory. So the structure is that we have a, f a full year of study, which I'm going to complete fairly soon. Um, but even then, from week two or three, I think, we were teaching every Tuesday, and we get lots of feedback, and I interact with students, and we change classes every six weeks, which means that you get lots of different experiences, and you get to see lots of different ways and try out things, and it's been amazing. Uh, in January, we had uh, a very intense, basically, assessment period where they wanted to see if we were actually cut out for this job. And it was intense. Um, basically, we were teaching every day. And I, I don't know, I just, at night, I just worked until I fell asleep. And then I got up in the morning anytime between like 4 a.m. and 5.30 in the morning, <laughs> which, you know, in the bank, if I had to be there before, you know, before quarter past nine, I was like, why? Why are we doing things so early in the morning? And now getting up, I mean, while I don't exactly love it, it's so much easier because I, instead of not minding being there, you know, the bank was not, banks were not necessarily horrible to me most of the time. Um, most of the time I didn't mind I was there. I, I found people that I liked and I'm still friends with. Um, but it's a completely different ball game if you don't just mind being somewhere, but you actually want to be there. If you, if you love to be somewhere because of, you know, the different, the energy, the life stories. And let me tell you, basically being part of a school ecosystem, it's like moving into a telenovela. That's, I, I don't know if there are teachers out there. I assume they are. But yeah, I, f I feel like, you know, one week you come and then, you know, somebody has sprayed the school building and there's like a little detective thing going on where everybody's trying to figure out who did it, you know, and 
And then the next month, there is some kind of creating write, creative writing contest. And, you know, different classes are, are gearing up for the big slam poetry performance. And then, you know, um, a month later, like a kid gets something broken because of an altercation. Like it's just the, the emotional intensity of, of being in a school environment is just something you cannot compare um, to the emotions uh, in, in an office. It's just really a very different ballgame. So yeah, I've been super happy, and the people who know me, I don't know, I think if you've seen the movie Goodwill Hunting, where at the end, you know, he goes to, um, Ben Affleck goes and to pick up Matt Damon and he's gone, I feel like a lot of people feel like that about me, that they feel like, you know, finally, finally she's doing what she was probably cut out to do for a long time. But the way I see it is that I had to become a, a you know I had to become who I am to to be of the most use to my students. Um, when I was in my early twenties, even if I had realized the first time I taught English in Hawaii um, that that was the job for me, I wouldn't have been emotionally ready for it. And to have the 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 experiences and the grounding and the the you know six years of daily meditation on your side it it just makes things much more doable and enjoyable than if i had started this earlier so yeah that was a longish update but yeah some people did actually wonder where i was so i thought i'll let you know all right so um the truth about the podcast is that I don't really know when the next episode will come out. And the reason is that my workload is pretty intense in this program. And it's going to get more intense because from August onward, I would be teaching uh, 40 or 50 percent on top of the, the schoolwork that we have to do. So for me, a lot of this work that I do for the podcast is kind of similar to preparing a lesson. It's not the same. It is easier because I don't have to, you know, think about how to make the students talk to each other and all of that. But at the same time, it's very similar. And that's why for me, I, you know, I struggled a bit to put something out earlier. And I, what I do know is this, that I love the podcast very much, that making this makes me happy um that i also know that it's useful for people and that there are actually people who miss it um but at the same time i i do have to you know um put my schoolwork first and the teaching thing first right now uh and i what i don't want to do is just you know become like any bland interview podcast there are so many interview podcasts out there and as you know, I do interviews, and some of them are very popular, but I mean, I just, I don't want to just do interviews and nothing else. That's not what this podcast is. So yeah, um, I don't know when the next episode is going to come out. Maybe it's going to be fairly soon, because I am working on something which I find, well, wait, this is going to be useful for y'all. Um, but it can also be a couple of months before, before I come back again. I don't really know. Uh, what I do know is that I don't want to give it up and also that I am incredibly grateful because 
the fact that so many of you are still listening and actually the last episode was one of the one of the biggest ones ever um and you know most podcasts which get those kind of numbers they publish every week and what you have done for me is to allow me to lead my life um and then just you know taking an episode in whenever it comes and i am super super grateful for you for that and i want to give a shout out to people like uh marina in argentina or mohammed in egypt uh and many more of you who yeah reached out share what they're doing uh, some even started their own podcast. You know, if you're into feminism and you happen to speak fem- uh, happen to speak Spanish, uh, check out Marina's podcast. She it's called. Let me check that out. I I know what it's called, but I just want to read it, so I'm really not gonna mess it up. And you actually find it. It's called Feminicast. So if you speak Spanish and you want to listen, uh, learn a little bit more about feminism. Um, also from a perspective of someone who is uh, not sitting in Europe or in um, the U.S. Check it out. As far as I can understand, it's pretty cool. All right. Take care. It was wonderful to talk to you and talk to you some other time. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would love to hear from you at Kristen at strengthphoenix.com. For show notes and more, head over to www.strengthphoenix.com. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.